Emily Taylor from Omaha describes herself as a captivated believer in the truth that an eternal perspective changes everything, and she says it gives her cause to catch her breath on the regular. Now, our guest is a mom and blogger whose reflections for women are found on her site, Unseen and Eternal. Emily, welcome to the Morning Conversation. Thank you. It's an honor to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, so uh, I'm going to get to know you and uh, the MyBridge Radio family is going to get to know you a lot better today, but we kind of have been introduced through one of our teammates, Holly, who has uh, yeah. known you through ministry there in Omaha, and she's followed your blog, and she said, you guys yeah. have got to talk to Emily. So we said, okay, we'll talk to Emily. <laughs> so. Well, I'm so glad. I'm grateful for Holly. So again, you, you've got a blog. It's called Unseen and Eternal. So uh, what led to you writing that blog? Gosh, probably back when I was, we, my husband and I just got married in 2007. And we were thinking, gosh, what would we want to have etched into the back of our wedding rings? And I just thought, man, what's the thing I want our lives to be marked by? And we've uh, being really led to 2 Corinthians 4, 16 through 18. Mm-hmm. But it's essentially this whole concept of what are your eyes fixed on? Are you considering what is temporary? Where are your eyes fixed? Or is it on things that are eternally relevant? And, and we said, man, I would want our lives to be marked by having our eyes fixed on things that are eternally significant. And so we etched that in the back of our rings, mm. thought it was super cool. And <laughs> and I think even at that time, I thought, man, I think that just the layers of what that will mean to me are just, we're just at the beginning. And so a few years later, my heart was really moved to write more. And we ended up launching this blog. Emily, uh, through writing, your processing, uh, you've done a study with moms called Firmly Planted, Facing Five Challenges of Mom Life. So what led to that study? There was a season. We had just launched homeschooling. My margin had significantly diminished. Some of my public writing started to taper down a little bit. And my husband said, you don't have a lot of time to yourself. You pour your life out into the kids all week. You should take Saturday mornings and just go meet with other women. Mm. And I did sit down with these women for coffee. And my point was to say, we are moms. We're doing eternally significant work. I want to be sharpened. I want to do this well. And so I thought, well, let's get around some other moms and learn from them. So I came to the table with the same three questions every time. And uh, at the end of about two years, I said, this has been more than I asked for or imagined. It was significantly more weighty to me than a sharpening effort. One of the things that surprised me was how intimately God's hand was on the stories of these women. It was mind-blowing. You kind of know in your own life, I can see where God has had his hand on this. And I can see even in some friends' lives where God has had his hand on them. But when you start meeting with people and over and over and over again, you see his hand Mm. doing things and authoring spectacular stories sort of compelled me to worship. I can remember getting in my car and being like, wow, you're so big. The other thing is that some themes surfaced where not just one or two moms would say something that seemed similar, but over and over again, I started seeing some challenges that seemed relatively cohesive across the board. And and just to give perspective to these moms came from a really diverse perspective. There were women that shared about infertility, about disease, about being a mom in military life through adoption, foster parenting surviving cases of abuse. There was one mom that raised a child through a fatal disease, one mom who dealt with 
the passing of a spouse. There was a mom who found her beloved and a widower and moms that lost their kids. There was a huge variety of moms who were schooling in different ways, moms that were fostering. Um, I mean, the spectrum was pretty diverse. And so when you start saying, man, despite the diversity, there's five really common challenges that we face and I started paying attention to that, which mm. really led to this study. You know, it's interesting, Emily, as you were talking about having conversations with these women and them being able to kind of share the fingerprints of God in their story. And, you know, the, it's the interesting thing is not everyone notices that or sees that even in their own story. And you can hear that whether someone does or doesn't. And that's one thing I've thought about a number of years ago. God has never let me down. I've had struggles and times when it took a little bit for me to see what was going on. But at the end of the day, no matter what I've gone through, and God was always there. He was always faithful. He always did things that were amazing in the midst of the pain. I hear that in your story and as you talk about these women. So how do you process that as you think about the, you know, whether people are able to see or not able to see, take the time to see or don't take the time to see? You know, I, I love that that's how you phrased it, that you uh, have eyes to see it. And I, I think that most of us probably are, are guilty of missing it a lot. Um, and it does take time to stop. And, and in fact, I think that there's value in even saying, would you just give me eyes to see your hand? Would you just give me eyes to see it? And then actually taking time. So one of the things that's like that was really a gift in these interviews was we stopped, we scheduled a time to talk. There were three questions that they were they expected to come and it mm. sort of was a forced reflection. Yeah. And so a lot of times when our lives get really busy, we just don't take a lot of time to reflect. Mm. And so and we see in scripture over and over again how even in the Psalms and um then you know in Israel when they were exiled when they came back after exile, that they were they were prompted to remember God's faithfulness. And so I think there's a lot of uh, power in stopping and reflecting and having eyes to see that. Uh, there is probably more to your story that you will uncover just by reflection if you'll take the time to stop and, and look for it. Emily, let's dive into your study, Firmly Planted, Facing Five Challenges of Mom Life. The first one that you talk about is in the area of identity. So unpack that one for us a little bit. It's probably my favorite section, probably because I believe that what we believe about who we are and whose we are will directly translate into the way we engage our assignments. I mean, I think that we all have this job to stop and say, what about my life and my job is eternally significant? How am I looking at it through the lens of this ripples into forever? And the cool thing about being a mom is that your job is absolutely eternally significant. Mm. And so looking at that through that lens, looking at your job as a mom through that lens, it changes the way we engage what we're doing. Um, but then also recognizing that we are daughters of a king and that will only move us to the extent that we've wrestled with who exactly this king is. And so um, if we believe he is a good father and that we are his daughters, that also changes the way we engaged. And then I also believe that we will not access what we do not realize is ours to claim. Mm. And so if we know who we are, whose we are, and what we've been given, we do everything differently. And so that whole chapter really uh, leads you to stop 
reflect on what is actually true uh, and then create custom strategies. Because because the thing that I wrestle with on identity is probably going to be different from the mom next to me. Right. And so the key of the study is to say, hey, what's your story? What's one of these identity statements that might feel too good to be true or um, tricky to believe? And then you customize your own strategy to to take hold of that more intentionally. Mm. You know, it's interesting as you said that, because one of the things I used to often say to my kids as they were leaving the house is remember who you are and whose you are. So then I just kind of kept saying to them, remember who you are and whose you are. So ah. going out and facing the world. Emily, uh, it's interesting because, you know, as a parent, there's a level of control, right? We should have with our kids. And there's a level of concern that is normal and natural and healthy. And so as you, as you kind of push into this whole area of control and worry, there's probably a right mom thing that then, if you're not careful, leads to kind of over control and excessive worry. I mean, it makes sense that we should take our jobs seriously, right? right? We don't want our kids to run out in the middle of the street. Right. We would want to control some circumstances, right? And in order to offer them life and point towards life, uh, we would want to shape and order loves. We want them to love what is lovely, to hate what is off, like evil and, and awful. But then a lot of times we will put our own idea, especially this is why we start with identity, because a lot of times we can cross over. If we haven't settled the question of identity and purpose, then, then we make our kid that. And so they can become a reflection of our own successes. We can also say, man, whatever I've elevated to, I need this to be okay in order for me to be okay. Then that actually starts to master us and we start to grip things that were never ours to grip. We may even get what we think we wanted and destroy relationships along the way. And so have we really succeeded? I would want my children to know the Lord. I want them to follow him and seek after him with all their heart because I believe that our best lives are lived that way. But I actually can't control that. And so in making an invitation, pointing, including teaching, that's different from controlling and requiring and shoving and crushing. And that can be an easy pivot if we allow something to become the source of whether we're okay or not. And that's different from saying, I rest because I rest in the Lord, not in this outcome. Emily, one of the challenges that you speak about in your study, Firmly Planted, Facing Five Challenges of Mom Life, you talk about finding your people. Now, again, us guys, we always hear like women are like, it's kind of automatic. They're so good at relationships. They always have friendships. But in what way is for a mom, is that a challenge? Yeah. So I think sometimes something I noticed when I became a mom, I felt like all of my conversations were either abbreviated or hurried hmm. because you just never know when you're going to be interrupted. And even when they get older, you're busy chauffeuring or investing in all these different assignments that are part wrapped up in motherhood. We are one of the most connected people of all time, but one of the loneliest generations of all time. And so I think, gosh, what does that look like when it comes to finding your people? What's your purpose in it? And how do you go about doing that? Because we can look to our right and left a lot of times, we're inclined to compare. And especially as moms, when we're like, I think I'm doing okay. I don't have a report card. So I guess I'll look over here and see what she's doing. One thing we write about is, man, when you're running your race, run your race. And so I think about in a track and field meet, you have all these different events happening on one field, which is really wildly entertaining, right? But if you're running the 300 meter hurdles, mm. 
And then you look over and you see someone, you know, at the shot put and you're like, well, that looks fun. And you run over to their race. <laughs> a, you're disqualified. Mm. And B, the audience is like, well, that's confusing. What just happened? One thing that we talk about in the study is, man, run your race run it well. And the only reason you should be looking to your right and to your left is for three reasons. One is to be sharpened. And we want to be sharpened. We do life better when people speak honestly into what they can see in your life. And sometimes that takes an invitation. Um, The second reason would be uh, to collaborate. And the third reason is to celebrate, to say, I see the race you're running and I'm rooting for you. So way to go. And more often than not, that's probably going to be what it looks like. We get to collaborate and that's really fun, but we are meant to root for one another. I can think of it's like finishing a race, the people that were screaming on the edge of the of the, the track to just finish, you know, that that's the reason that you poured yourself out on that last runway. And so it can be really powerful. And so creating space is hard. It requires that we actually schedule that. We don't just organically fall into it. Emily, let's talk about pace and purpose, which is another one of the challenges that you talk about in your book, Firmly Planted, Facing the Five Challenges of Mom Life. That one connected with me as I kind of looked through the different challenges. It was like, whenever I hear from a mom, talk to a mom, and I think about a mom's life, I go, man, like it's just constant. (laughs) It never gets turned off. How do you speak into mom's heart and life in that whole chapter on pace and purpose? So one of the first things I like to say to moms is you should know that your work is eternally significant, Mm -hmm. that if your life was marked solely by the assignment of being a mom and pouring into this forever human, that's enough. That's a big deal. If everything that's ever been created falls into the category of temporary or eternal, and your job is to introduce this forever human to a forever God, Hmm. that's a big deal. And so don't ever uh, perceive yourself as I'm just a mom. That's said a lot. That has said a lot. But I would also say, I love Isaiah in one of the most famous commissionings of all times. God says, who will go? Who will we, who will I send? And Isaiah says, here I am. Send me before he even knows what he's going to be asked mm. to do. But he's like, I'm willing. I'm willing. What you have for me, I will do. And so if God says, I have fostered some talents and gifts and you take this next step, do it, do it. But don't feel like you need to do it because you're not doing something weighty already. So one of my promptings to moms is to say, would be to say, hey, even with this stuff, computer technology stuff. I love it. One thing I ask moms is, uh, man, if you see something in you or if someone else, one of your sharpeners sees something in you, then you should acknowledge that and ask God, what would you want me to do? Here I am. Send me. I'm available to you. And say yes and obey, but also knowing that this does not change your status of of rapport before the Lord. It doesn't make you more lovable. One thing I tell my kids uh, frequently is nothing you could do could ever make me love you more or less. I love you because you're mine. And so we don't need to do something in order to maintain some kind of better standing with God. 
but we are very satisfied when we obey what he's asked us to do. Emily, I'd love to hear your story a little bit. We've been talking a lot about the things that God's kind of taught you over the years and things that you've gleaned from these uh, women that you spent time with. But there was a point when you didn't know Jesus, right? And uh, God drew you into relationship with himself and you fell in love with him. We'd love to hear that story, how you came to know Jesus. I grew up in a Christian home. My dad is a pastor. I grew up with this awareness of who God is and prayer felt very natural to me. It felt like it's just what you do. You talk to God, you read your Bible, you consider uh, obeying what he said to do. But I also would say there was a little bit of a disconnect in this God that writes amazing stories and this God that's meant to be obeyed. It was in college probably when I said, I'm not sure if you're going to write a better story than me. Hmm. And so most of my college life is a cliche of, eh, we'll see. I don't know if how serious I'm going to take this. It didn't work very well. Hmm. I don't think I wrote a very good story. Upon graduation, I moved to Omaha, intended it for it to be very temporary. <laughs> I met my husband. God in his kindness gave me this entrepreneurial husband that is like one adventure after the other. He keeps life very interesting. But then what has also happened is God in his kindness has also said, I'm just going to slowly reveal myself to you in such a way that I have observed his kindness and his sovereignty and his creativity and over time fallen more and more in love with him. And so I wish I could say that it was one of those stories where overnight I was just 100% and all in and everything was clear, but it's been like a long obedience in the right direction. My husband was exposed to Christ later in life and he was more of those prove it to me and then it was sort of a cold turkey, not not cold turkey. It took a lot of investment for him, his own heart. But then he was like, I'm in and I'm all in. It's fun to do life with him. Emily, I'm, I'm curious. So as you think about your story and your journey, what would you want to do with your kids that might set them up to where maybe they wouldn't stray to the extent that I mean, obviously we have no all control over that for kids. I think sometimes the lie that we are invited to believe is that there's something we're missing out on if we choose to surrender our lives, that it's actually not freeing. And in fact, we're going to serve something. Let's surrender a life to a God who writes something really incredible. So it is my hope that that's the message that would my kids would glean on to. But the other thing is figuring out a way to hear personally from him. So it's one thing to be taught a lot about God. Yeah. It's another thing to talk to God. How are you listening to God? Aside from what I'm teaching you, from what I'm hearing, how are you opening up his word to you? talking to him and listening for his voice. I think that's game changing. One thing I always thought is I don't want my kids just to pray a prayer. So often if we're not careful as parents, we just want them to pray that prayer, right? So we have some hopes and expectations that, okay, now they know Jesus. And if they die, they'll go to heaven. But it's so much more, the Christian life is so much more than saying a prayer. And uh, I worked with kids a lot, a number of times in the church that had prayed a prayer when they were five, six, seven, and now they were 16, 17, 18, and it had never gone 
beyond that prayer that they uttered and uh, their relationship with Jesus never went any deeper up until that point and it wasn't holding them well right so I love what you're saying there in terms of like let's really pray into let's model let's try to cultivate their with intentionality opportunities for our kids not just to pray a prayer and come to a hopefully a saving faith but like actually encounter the living God and develop a relationship with them I agree I think that our kids are capable of far more depth than we give Mm -hmm. them credit for. It's amazing. Like right now, my 12-year-old, we are reading through the Bible in a year with him. My husband and son and I are all reading through. It's Tara Lee Cobble's Bible recap. Mm -hmm. And the questions that have come up from that have been incredible. I think so often we're tempted to dumb things down or to not ask much. And they are so capable of so much more that I would not want to miss an opportunity to to linger even in the mess. <laughs> of things that are tricky to read about because they can they can glean from that. Well, Emily, this has been a great morning. Thank you so much for your honesty and vulnerability and for sharing your heart with us this morning. Thank you. Thanks for having me. It was a delight.